All right, welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. Today, I got a great guest calling on. We're going to talk about, uh, well, kind of a little bit deeper dive into uh, anxiety and sports and kind of the intersection of those. Uh, my guest kind of self-described himself as a little bit of a nerd when it comes to that stuff. Nerd, a little bit of an athlete. Uh, but I'm really excited to kind of talk about how uh, something like jiu-jitsu uh, or maybe possibly some other sports can help somebody kind of lower that anxiety, right, and help you um, better your life, uh, better navigate through life and those kind of things. He's also an accomplished author. He's got a handful of books. Um, he's written uh, motor mind users manual, our cognitive mechanics, bridging worlds, navigating honor, shame and self-identity as a first generation child, black belt mindset, backpack to rucksack insight into leadership and resilience by military experts. We're going to talk a little bit more about that one and combat psych handbook. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that one. So, uh, very accomplished author, got a lot of very exciting things, like I said, with anxiety, psychology. So uh, hang on to your seats. It could be a fascinating conversation. Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hey, what's up, man? Stoked to be uh, here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here. Like I was telling you right before we recorded, man, I, I kind of, uh, I'll say, you know, I've taken taken a couple of psychology courses many, many years ago in college. Uh, it's one of those things I think is very fascinating, although I will self-admit I don't know a ton about it. Um, but when you first reached out and I was looking at your website, I was like, this is really fascinating, right? Like you kind of hear all the time about like how sports can help people with a lot of different things. But like you took it a step further and part of a master's program, really dove into it, really got a lot of data and science on how jujitsu can um you know, help with that. Before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your military journey and, and all that kind of catch us up with who you are. Yeah. Um, so I was a combat engineer in the army. I got out, I joined at 32 years old. Uh, so definitely a, a late dude. I'd made, made it by the cutoff by a few, like six months. Um, went to basic training at Fort Jackson, went to OCS in Georgia and then, uh, engineer school in Missouri. So, um, yeah, became a combat engineer, was stationed in California. I was part of a non-deployable unit. So I never, never did deploy during my uh, short contract. And then, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I wrote a book when I got out about last year, about a year ago. And it was kind of a meditation on my time as a, as a platoon leader. Um, and in light of one of my soldiers who survived his suicide attempt. And I worked with a buddy, really close friend of mine who was, uh, he had, he was in the Marine Corps and now he's in the army. He lost 32, or I'm uh, sorry, he lost, uh, 13 guys from his unit to suicide, which is just an insane number. And so, you know, not me, myself, not having been to war, I was working with all these warriors who had been to war, you know what I mean? All these brothers of mine who had seen and done things that just, it, it was heavy stuff, you know? And so I, um, I love these guys and I, I grew really close to them and they shared a lot of, a lot of private stories with me that bonded us and and it was really cool how and we can get into it how jujitsu kind of gave me a understanding of their world that i didn't really expect to know and um so they've gave, given me permission to share some of their stories and whatnot and it just dude just writing the book helped me process it um and i worked on a master's while i was in the army uh, as a platoon leader so it was an online master's uh, and organizational psychology. And I figured it would kind of fuel me as a leader and feed me, you know, objective information, objective data that could help me 
grow as a leader and benefit the troops. So I didn't anticipate writing a book, you know, until I got out and then was just reflecting on things. Um, yeah. So hopefully it can help people. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the quick and dirty about my stint in the army. Gotcha. Isn't it interesting how just things happen in life sometimes and just stuff just comes together, <laughs> not intending to write a book and you just end up writing a book. <laughs> yeah. It started as a journal entry. Uh, cause I was thinking about Cody. He wrote the, um, Cody wrote the uh, foreword to the book as a suicide attempt survivor, just kind of a word of, of hope to those struggling, you know? And, um, when I, and then Austin who, who lost those 13 guys from his unit, um, he wrote the foreword and, you know, this is like super heavy stuff and I don't mean to be that heavy right now, but kind of like just came out swing into your listeners. But, um, yeah, man, I just, I, it just weighed really heavy on my heart. And I thought to myself, like, what could I have done better as a leader? You know, what did I do? Well, what, what good did I do for the platoon and for the guys? And I don't know, man, leadership's messy. You know, it's, there's so many gray areas, but yeah, what started off as a sort of a journal entry thinking about some of the guys who mentored me before I joined, uh, it just, it turned into a 400 page book where I was just kind of yeah, I plug in some of the science on leadership too. So it's got some research articles in there just just so I know I'm not talking out of my own opinion, if you will. I want it to be as objective as possible because you know we all have our subjective experiences. Like everybody who joins the military knows that we all have different experiences. You know, whether the, the mission set changes or the unit changes or the command climate, there's so much to it. You know, nobody walks the same exact path in the military. And so it's it's much harder than I thought to find like a very black and white answer to some complex leadership situations. So that's why I wrote a book and yeah, man, just want to normalize the weirdness for people. <laughs> that's a very good point. You know, there's, there's not always a black and white answer, but if you can read about past situations, mm -hmm. when a situation comes up, you can maybe reference to it and say, yeah, you know, we're judged how this person handled it could I handle the situation this way or could I adapt the way this was handled for my situation or whatever? Dude, I love know, that. Find that gray yes. area somewhere in between like what works, right? It can yep. be that kind of, uh, that guide for you one way or another. So now I was kind of curious because it was, you know, on leadership and resilience. And I'm sure you probably learned a million different things while writing that and talking to people. Was there anything in particular that you learned that you found profound about leadership while going through that? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you look at, um, and you can go, go to my website to kind of get a distilled version of this. Cause I posted a lot of these on the website, but each chapter is written about a dude in my life that was serving in uniform. So there were Navy SEALs, Green Beret officers, um, a MARSOC officer, a couple pilots, EODs, rescue swimmers. <clears throat> so all different branches and each chapter has a nugget of wisdom from from what from those dudes right so that's what stood out to me is the profound wisdom they had because my platoon when i exemplified that would benefit so like um the, the green brain in, in my life so uh craig um talked about uh being humble and being calm and that that's huge for the guys you know especially when you're so i was just in the field training i wasn't you know, again, I wasn't deployed, but in the field, things get pretty crazy because we train to be as stressful as war. We try to simulate that. And so a lot of people, you know, when it's 127 degrees out in the desert and you're in full kit, things can get weird fast, you know? And so 
it's really important that when you give orders and whatnot that your guys see you calm even when things look chaotic and they are chaotic so that's that was really huge dealing with different personalities you know whether there's conflict and, and things of that sort you want to stay as um even keeled as possible and we can talk about jujitsu and how that reinforced that with like I want to say with fists, but that, that wasn't, we didn't always throw fists. We did have combat jujitsu and that taught us a lot, but, um, we, you know, we'd get choked out pretty quickly if we lose our calm. And then, um, some other stuff like, uh, so I changed some of the names in the book. So I got to remember like, what was his name in the book? So like, uh, the Navy seal, one of the seals in the book, um, his name in the uh, character in the book is Jared, but he's actually a real friend of mine. So, and he's serving still. So I, for OPSEC, I don't want to say his name. So yeah, Jared, the Jared uh, in the book told me, you know, either do something or or shut your mouth, basically. Like, don't keep talking about it. If you're gonna do something, just execute. You know, and that again, soldiers love that. So you're leading a bunch of enlisted guys as an officer. Let's say you're, you're a platoon leader, you can't just make promises to the guys and girls that you're leading. You gotta deliver. You know, and so you'd see that. You'd see what happens if there's certain leaders that would just kind of dangle the carrot, but then the Joes wouldn't see that, and then they that leader would lose credibility in their eyes. So it's things of that sort. I mean, these are just two pieces that stood out right now, but there's endless examples in the book. Um, I will say my, my EOD buddy, Brad, I'm actually going to see him tonight. His, uh, his advice was pretty profound and shocked me really. Um, Cause he, I remember I was kind of in a situation at work where I felt like I couldn't be myself. I felt like I had to be a version of myself that the troops or certain leaders wanted to see. And this dude's been to war. He's been shot at, you know, he's had buddies blown up and he's lost a lot of guys. Um, and everything, anything he tell me about war, I mean, I'm all ears. Right. And his advice to me was be authentic, be the authentic version of yourself, whether you're a goofball, if you have a sense of humor, whether you're a nerd, whether you're a jock, whatever you are, doesn't matter if you're in uniform don't you don't change that the military doesn't need people who are inauthentic it needs your authentic personality that blew my mind when he said you have permission to be funny you have permission to be relaxed you have permission to be whatever you want or well rather whoever you are because the people you're serving with they're going to know if you're disingenuous so oh, they're going right, to pick it up really really so quick yeah, yeah yeah they're gonna and they're gonna label you as fake if you're if you're mm -hmm. If you're not being authentic and genuine. Yeah. I mean, cause soldiers, they'll poke at you when you're a leader. I mean, you're in a fishbowl, especially when you're a junior officer and you're that close to them. Cause in the, we were super close in the field. I mean, we're, we're sleeping cots next to each other in the vehicle. Sometimes we had to share the vehicle in the winter time. Um, you know, you're doing hygiene out there together. Like it's, it's a pretty close knit group when you're in the field that often. And the soldiers will poke at a leader, you know, it, it, just to see who you are. And, um, and it was surprising to me how much they saw there's you can't really pull the wool over their eyes and i i love that because it does keep us honest as leaders you know um yeah like even even times where i didn't think they'd see things they'd come up and be like hey sir i heard so and so or such and such happened or whatever and it's like how the heck did you like where do you have like ears and eyes man but um it was cool because if you do good by them they let you know they let you know like hey thanks for thanks for doing that for us or whatever it is and it's just um it's cool. It's really cool. Well, for anybody who, who ends up watching this or listening to it, you know, that if you're a parent, you're probably chuckling a little bit. Um, as a parent, it's like, it's kind of like kids, like mm -hmm. your kids pick up on way more than you ever expect. 
Like they just watch your every move, just 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 yeah. like the troops under your command. You know, I mean, w- whether you're an officer or you're an NCO, like they're watching everything that you do. Yeah. So like they they are gonna they are gonna know everything that you do, and you you have to be genuine. You have to be real. You have to, you know, you you can't um, can't lie to them. You can't you can't sugarcoat things. Like be honest, be blunt, be who you are. So yeah. Now, how about resilience? Out of curiosity, any any good lessons you got there? Yeah, so that would come from my like my army dad. He's an NCO who was there in Iraq during you know the the initial siege and all that. Um, you know, there's him and some other guys I got to talk to. Man, they came close to you know taking their own lives at, at some points, right? And the weight that they felt was real, real serious. And and they taught me a lot about leadership in the sense that. I don't want to add pressure to someone's life who's already got, you know, demons that they're fighting and they've got darkness in their life that they're still trying to make sense of. I mean, over a decade past, right. It's, it's heavy stuff. And, um, but what they taught me was for those who, I mean, look, self-medication is huge, right? A lot of people will drink. A lot of people will dissociate. I mean, just normal without massive trauma. We, we self-medicate. It's just as a species, let alone a dude who's been to war or a gal who's been to war and, you know, seen all this stuff. And so um, the most resilient minds, what I noticed is they were able to, to get stuff out of their bodies, you know, get stuff through a hobby, whether they shoot guns, ride horses, do jujitsu, they channel it. Cause you can't just wish it away. You can't just pretend it didn't happen. You have to, you've got to let your body get that stuff out that get that aggression out, you know, but they they do it in healthy ways, so they wouldn't repress it. They'd they'd get it out, um, and I mean, dude, resiliency is it's such a hard thing to quantify, but it's definitely one of those things that's from from what I gather, and I don't have all the answers. I should have probably said that from the beginning. Uh, uh, no, don't even, don't feel bad. Nobody has all the answers. Well, even it just sounds like oh, I wrote a book on this, so I yeah. should know it. But it's more about I, I'm willing to have the discussion about it. Yeah, but if we had but, all the answers, we'd have the problem fixed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so they give us a PowerPoint in the army that says like, you know, resilience is the tennis ball, right? It bounces back. Uh, but being too rigid is you're like a glass ball that just shatters, right? And so what I understand is that people they they can um, decompress. They can recharge from burnout while they're dealing with something heavy that keeps them resilient it's not that they're impervious to stress they're not impervious to to bleeding right on the battlefield but what they do is is they allow themselves the ability to recover and recharge while they're continuing down those hard paths in life and instead of repressing it bottling it in and then either self-destructing self-sabotaging blowing up at somebody they they're able to kind of have a release valve of pressure um, throughout their life and they find it through a hobby again through relationships whatever it is or, or all of the above really because you need everything i mean it's such a holistic process but those are the guys who are i saw as super resilient you know um and the ones that weren't the ones who came close to taking their lives or who unfortunately did take their lives from what i gather through my friends it's um they, they felt trapped and isolated and that it's not that they're weak people. It's just that they didn't, they didn't find those modalities to kind of get stuff out of them. They, they kept it isolated. They kept it in and dude, eventually the body just, it degrades through, you know, your energy storage, your, your ability to, 
man, just have the emotional bandwidth to do life that it kind of closes in on you. The walls close in and that seems to be kind of the opposite of resilience. You know, it's just that they stay as strong as possible up until they have nothing left to give. And to me, the process of resilience should be a lot more dynamic than that. It shouldn't be this just white knuckling. I'm going to sit here and just keep myself together as long as possible. Um, it's more about, Hey, what do I do right now to get this out of me? What do I do to, you know, through self-care through rest? And then again, through getting that aggression out. And that's where jujitsu is like a powerful tool. Yeah. I think just kind of sitting there letting that bottle, that's a kind of a, that's a passive way of, of dealing with it. Like it's just going to mm -hmm. keep building up. Like the active way is, is jujitsu. We're doing something is, uh, you know, whole health or nutrition, exercise, counseling, whatever other treatments are out there, whatever. Right. It's actively going out there and saying, okay, enough of this crap. I'm going to find some modality to, um, to, to do something about this. Enough. Of yeah. This crap. And grieving, so, grieving is huge too, man. Grief is, is a powerful, powerful way to um process trauma and you know if we could always get into this pretty deeply but from my understanding the way that the brain like the neurotransmitters will work when you store a traumatic memory there's a lot of energy locked into it like emotive energy there's they call it salience um like affect salience meaning how much emotion is kind of tied to that memory and through grief you're able to then process the emotions of it and still store that memory because you're not just going to have amnesia and forget what happened, but it'll, that memory will be stored back in your brain without all that angst, all the emotion with it. It'll kind of dial it down from an 11 down to however much you grieve and process it, you're able to then store it back at lower valence. I think they call it valence, but that's another term for it. But um, that's one thing I, I try to preach to guys who are struggling with stuff just to, and grief is a, very awkward thing as a grown man to cry, you know, but, um, I needed to do it for some stuff that happened to me, not in the military. It was my prior life. And, uh, um, jujitsu brought it out of my body. It came out on the mats, dude. I was having like a freeze response. I was going through some flashbacks. I didn't know that was what I was feeling. And then saw a therapist through a buddy of mine and, uh, he's a badass DEA agent. So I trusted him when he was like, dude, go see a therapist. Um, and then dude, I, dude, I cried a lot. <laughs> I grieved a lot. It was, it was pretty gnarly, like weeks and weeks and weeks. It was just, I thought I was broken, but after I finally purged it out of my system, dude, I was able to go back to jujitsu and the, it, it was never that bad again. You know? Well, that's good. I, and there is nothing wrong with crying. Sometimes it, that the energy's got to come out. Ugly cries, out. bro. Yeah. I Ugly mean, cries. hey. Oof. Shoot, I've been there. I mean, hell, I, I'll admit it. I've done it a couple of times this year. You know, we're just stress, life, you know, yeah, like, you know, work, life, kids. It just, you know, things just get to you and you're just like, hey, look, I just need I just that gotta, moment. I just got to sit here on the couch and just let it roll yeah. and just, you know, just get those emotions out. Man, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes. You know, maybe, maybe it bothers you for a, few, for a few weeks. Who knows? But sometimes you just got to let it out and just be like, okay, all right. I feel a little bit better. I, you know, I, uh, I, I took myself from, you know, a 10 or 11 down, down, down to an eight. I feel a little bit more yep. calm. Now I could go, I could yep. jump right back into it and, and, you know, go back into whatever tasks I was doing for the day, <laughs> whatever you got to go through for the rest of life. So. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And you do it with more clarity. You do it. You're more grounded. 
and then you're less caught off guard by emotions. And I think, I mean, from personal experience, that's why I self-medicated, you know, I was pretty wild before I joined the military and, um, not, not proud of what I did and, and, you know, the things that I was caught up in, but it was, I was running away from a past I didn't want to think about. And so dude, like the alcohol consumption and the drugs and all that stuff, it was just a way to self-medicate. And, um, I don't fault anybody for doing that stuff, especially, you know, when I was in the military and I'd find out, you know, certain Joes were struggling with different addictions and whatnot. I, I wasn't going to judge them, you know, because it, to me, it's self-medication. I'm not going to encourage it, but it's like, dude, it's, it's such a bigger picture than just change your behavior. It's, it's a, a matter of getting to the bottom of what's causing it, the root cause and, and dealing with it. And I mean, I still, I still deal with issues for sure. I'm still not where I want to be in life, but I'm growing. And, um, I hope that my story can encourage others, you know, while they're struggling with theirs, but especially as men, it's, and I noticed this through like with combat veterans, a lot of them, they knew it's like this silent acceptance or the silent awareness that, you know, that you're struggling with the same demons that that guy over there struggling with. But all you know is you, you all are drinking a ton of whiskey before bed to go to bed, to not remember things. And this is coming from friends of mine who, you know, confess this stuff, right. I and mean, they'd, they'd remember the sounds and they'd remember the scenes and who they lost. And so, um, a lot of them were just trying to not remember that stuff. And, it's, it's heavy, you know, and it's out of my love for these guys and my respect for them, for what they did for our country, that I want better for them in their subconscious, dude, in that those final moments before they try to go to bed at night. Uh, those are the spaces where it's, I want them to have peace, you know, and so it's, and those are areas where I struggled, you know, I was drinking a lot to go to bed before, like seven days a week, a lot, like blackout drunk. And so, dude, yeah, again, I'm no one, I'm no one who can judge these guys, but, uh, definitely want to show them some love and just have these discussions. Yeah, I know I know exactly what you're what you're talking about. I was that way after my first deployment uh to Iraq. I was like that for a couple of years. Mm. Anybody who was with me over there in Yokota, Japan knows exactly. Uh many many <laughs> nights where all I have to go off of is the stories of everybody who was around me cuz I don't remember yep. most of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I know my mom was very concerned about my alcohol consumption there for a couple of years. Luckily I had a great group of guys and gals that I went down to Ecuador with and, uh, it sounds weird to say it, but we kind of drank it out down there, mm. <laughs> but it was the people I was with, right. The people I was with the healing, um, the opportunity to kind of talk and be with the right kind of people with the right mindset and right. kind of came back from there and. IPCS back to the States from Japan. And it was like, all right, I'm back here. Didn't have access to bars where I could just walk to. And it was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta change this behavior. Cause this isn't good. This isn't healthy. Mm. Like I, I just knew that if I kept that up, I wasn't going to be here today. You know, something bad was going to happen. So totally. You just totally. can't, you can't, you can't like go down. I'm glad you path. made it through, bro. I'm glad no, you made it just, through. You know, and now it's the point, like I've gotten so old now that, <laughs> I, if you see me drinking, like I'm only gonna have one or two because, uh, a, I don't like the hangover feeling and, um, most alcohol makes me feel like warm and just, I don't, I don't like the feeling anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but it's, uh, like you can't, you can't, I don't care what it is. Like it could be alcohol, it could be drugs. It could be, it could be pornography. It could be gambling. Like there's a lot of bad things you could be doing. Um, but I, one thing I hate is when people judge people for those addictions. I just That's don't understand fun. why this person's doing this. Like, why can't they just stop? Why can't they do It's like, hmm. okay, if you've never had a problem, no matter how bad the problem is, or you've never had somebody in your family that's had a problem, 
like you just you just don't understand like it's not that they could just stop mm. it's it's not that easy like there's there's the trauma or there's the reason below somebody doesn't just wake up one day and be like i'm gonna be an alcoholic or a drug addict i'm yeah, just gonna man. go gamble every penny i have away like you don't just wake up and make that conscious decision as a as a rational person you do it because there's a trauma and you're masking something you're hiding something like you know you you, you need help you need support they need love and encouragement not to be you know hated on and chastised for or you know and, and looked down upon but unfortunately a right. lot of people in society do that and i'll say some people some people in our veteran community do that to each other and it's like come on like we got to we got to do better as a community mm. so but you know we and we've all had those briefings on resilience you know, yeah. even if it's been a well, few years, PowerPoint. Uh, yeah, dig, dig <laughs> back. I, you know, I know those memories are, are you probably repressed those memories back there somewhere. Maybe that's by PowerPoint, bro. Don't bring me back. No. <laughs> it's, it's back there somewhere. We all know we, we, we packed that away somewhere. All I was that guy that stood up in the back when, when they're like, don't fall asleep, stand up if you're going to fall asleep. I'm like, all right, I'm moving to the back. <laughs> oh, we've, we've all done that at least once or twice. Yeah. You know, it's weird as in the civilian world if you ever get up and do that and they look at you like, why is this person getting Dude, up and moving to the back? It's so annoying. <laughs> that is so annoying about, yeah, that's exactly right. When you go back into society after you leave the military and little things like that make you stand out, it's like, guys, I'm not that weird. I mean, this is what we do. I'm not going to fall asleep, you know, but yeah, you're totally right. I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, I don't yeah, mind I've looking seen, weird to civilians. I just I just don't fit in the world anymore, dude. I've noticed it once or twice. It's like, wow, those three guys in the back—they're definitely the vets in the group. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> they're not trying to fall asleep. So, yep. Um, yeah. Well, I wanted to shift focus now. You know, kind of back to the jujitsu, um, because mm. your thing was all about anxiety and anxiety management. Could you kind of frame for everybody kind of what anxiety is? You know, maybe what it is, what it isn't, a, a little bit for those yeah, people who I mean, may not be a little bit more aware. In simple terms, I would say anxiety has to do with like a sort of a hypervigilance in, in the human mind and in the brain. So it's got to deal with kind of an awareness of what like environmental stimuli, threat detection, things of that sort. And you can have anticipatory anxiety. So just thinking about a potential issue could cause your system to kind of rev up. And I see this sort of warming the engine prior to fight flight freeze faint fawn whatever your your body's gonna do for primal survival i'd say anxiety is a state and it's exhausting it's a state of awareness and knowing that something's coming and i gotta react but i don't know exactly how uh and there's different variations and nuances to this but i'd say from a neurophysiological level it's kind of a, an activation of the nervous system and uh it's oftentimes not like an actual reaction because to react with fight or flight, you're actually doing something, you know, with your, with your body, but anxiety is that kind of like that pre-state. I'd say it's more about anticipation if anything. It's kind of like that preparatory command when marching, right? It's like, <laughs> hey, you're, you're paying attention. Like your body's mentally aware of what's going on. Like if you know, you're going to a crowd, like a, a concert, but you have a problem with crowds, like you're uh, right. I'm assuming, you know, like if you have a problem with that anxiety might be popping up of like, I don't know why I'm so on such high alert, be, be, but it's because if you have a problem with crowds, maybe you're aware of it or not, but know that you're going right. to go into an environment like that, or maybe it's loud noises or gosh, I guess it could be anything, but something like that. 
right? Yep. And and hypervigilance is is like a more poignant form of that. Like it's way more, it's super intense. And depending on the trauma and what happened in the past, and there's a lot to it. Like how old the person was when they experienced it, or how re- how repetitive the trauma was, um, and just the 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 sheer like magnitude of what that trauma was will dictate how much hypervigilance occurs. Um, and that's a, a situational awareness that's like spider senses off the Richter scale. You know, you want to know what's behind you, what's in front of you, like 360 degree radar going off all, at all times. And that's extremely exhausting. That's like a huge primal limbic system activation in the brain, amygdala, all of that. And uh, the issue with with all these kind of sensors going off is that um, your prefrontal cortex kind of downregulates a bit. So your, your body's more concerned with surviving than it is about thinking complex thoughts. And so your prefrontal cortex, that's where your personality's at. That's where your, your logical, you know, engineering thoughts, your more complex thoughts, your meditative thoughts, prayer, all of that exists because we have a, a massive prefrontal lobe in our brains. But when we're anxious, the, the mental resources go into like, Oh, I got to survive this incoming threat, you know? And a lot of dudes live, live in that, you know, kind of neighborhood. Right. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. And it, it expresses differently in the body. You can have indigestion, you can have the sweats, you, you can, there's, there's just so much, you know, increased heart rate, shallow breathing. There's a lot to it depending on the state of anxiety that they're in. I don't think I've ever heard it put so perfectly that it makes so much sense of just kind of shutting, you know, like when you say, like that engineering brain, that artistic brain of shutting that down and just, just the core functions of your brain of fight or flight. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just kind of thinking of like that, that environment. Like if you have a problem with uh, crowds and you find yourself in a concert or something like that, I just think about that person that's like on the edge of the crowd because they want their back to the wall. Totally. Scanning gotta everybody. see the exit. They're looking at gotta hands. See the gotta see the exit. Yep. And they're just kind of sitting there stiff, no emotions on their face, you know, just kind of scanning everything. And it's like, like they're like, boom, they're ready to, go one direction or another right like totally like for me i hate sitting in like if i'm on a plane or at church or whatever i have to sit in the aisle seat like i cannot sit inside because if something goes down a shooter somebody walks in i don't know whatever it is i need to be in the aisle seat so i have access to the door the person friggin' single leg takedown i don't whatever but yeah man i i just want to say that if if anyone's weird like me you're not weird I know there's a lot of people that have, have the, you know, issues in restaurants where they want their, you know, want to be in the back of the restaurant, back to the back of it. Don't I've heard that about, back towards the window too, especially yeah, don't if you're back in to Chicago. The window. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard stories. I've joked with, uh, well, you know, kind of joked with people before they're like, you know, what, what would happen if, you know, so, something happened, if there's like a threat or somebody, you know, active shooter or something, I'm like, or people start running. I'm like, if people start running or if you see me running, you might want to pick a direction. I'm not telling you which direction to go. They're like, why? I said, because I don't know. I might run towards the threat. I might run away from the threat. I don't know. <laughs> there's no telling what I might do. Depends depends but, on if I had my coffee this morning. Yeah, if I've had if my I coffee, had coffee gonna, and then there's yeah, I'll run into it. If not, I'm like, oh shoot. I, I might just be <laughs> like, you know, screw it. I'm I'm just I'm to go out that door. I'm out of here. Or I might just be like, yeah, it's just one guy. Like maybe I'll just you know whatever. I don't know. Maybe yeah, but maybe this my- is where jujitsu is huge, bro. When you know what to do, <laughs> if there's a situation like that, that's one thing that's really cool because I would never have known what to do if there's a threat and now because i roll at least i know what to grab and how to grab and you know what i'm saying so um that's that's one thing to think about um for people who feel fearful is, is just 
be that person that can respond to a situation like that. And then always have a tourniquet on you quick clot. Like I have quick clot on me. I have a tourniquet just, just in case, you know, how like battle rescues, we always like battle buddy rescues is what we learned in the, in the army. If one of our guys gets shot, you gotta, or if you get shot, you deal with self-rescue. So you try to tourniquet yourself if you can, or whatever it is. Um, but if you're down for the count, then your guys have to bound to you taking incoming fire and whatnot. We learned this all in basic training. Um, and then you, you rescue your buddy, right? But you can't just walk into gunfire and get shot. So there's, you gotta have a tactical approach, but all this stuff kind of helps. And, um, that's why I definitely, you know, I, I admire these young folks who join the military so young, cause they're learning about this stuff and, you know, God forbid you're ever around an active shooter or whatnot. Like you want to be that person that's reliable and that's stays calm and is able to, to help others. You know, I think that's, yeah, that's just something that really inspires me about young people in the military. Yeah. Well, hopefully if, uh, yeah, hopefully it never happens, but if I ever find myself in a situation, I, I hope I respond and, and, and do the right thing. I will tell, you know, tell everybody I don't carry any tourniquets or quick clot or anything with me, but I, I usually have fingernail clippers and band-aids in the trunk of my car. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> there you go. I've got kids after all. If you have a so, belt, if you have a belt, you have a tourniquet. You, can you know, what? that's a good point. I usually have a belt on. So I do, I guess there I do have a, a makeshift tourniquet, but I do have band-aids. Yep. Like I said, I got band-aids. And I actually, I think I have my poncho uh, still in my in a, in a bag, oh, you that's know, funny. in my trunk. So I got something, right? Wait, so was, it you know, make sure. your, was it issued by the Air Force? Uh, yeah, Did you probably. not return gear? Yeah. Did you not return uh, gear and you still cleared base? I don't know. You cleared out know. a post? It was rain gear. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I got a bag with a bunch of stuff in it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I can MacGyver that shit, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something in a situation. <laughs> There you go. I keep blankets in there too and jumper cables. I'm sure that could be used for something, right? I watched MacGyver when I was a kid. We'll, nice. we'll figure it out in an emergency. So, um, so to, to your research, kind of just blew my mind there with the whole the way everything shut down. I think pretty, pretty good there. But when it comes to the jujitsu and what it does mm -hmm. to the mind, and and it, what were some of the key findings that, that you found there? Yeah, with, with some of um, that and what that does. So, and this book's not, not out yet. I know you listed a bunch of books. I'm actually, I, I, so on my website, there's like a coming soon page. I'm in the, I literally was writing this today, the black belt book, um, black belt mindset. So yeah, I don't want to false advertise. These books are pending uh, release, but so two of them are out now combat psych handbook and the backpack to rucksack. But for the black belt one, um, yeah, it was based on my master's thesis that I did. Uh, I, I was able to interview 32 black belts and 32 non jujitsu practitioners and kind of do a comparative study. Um, the reason I, this study even happened is because of Jocko Willink. I train at his gym and he gave me permission to access some of the black belts. And, uh, so a huge thank you to him for enabling this, but, um, the black belts told me about their stories. Uh, regarding what got them into jujitsu, how they deal with anxiety. And overall, what I found is when black belts experience a threat, so I had people kind of self-disclose um, their anxiety levels before, during, and after like a high anxiety event in their life. So what I found is with the black belts, they have initially, basically they're lower across the board, but um, then people who don't practice jujitsu, but um, with these non-practitioners, they have a, a slightly elevated anxiety rate kind of after the event ends because there's residual adrenaline in their body and whatnot. But when black belts engage with a threat, their engagement with that threat 
causes like a substantial decrease in anxiety even afterwards. So they might get anxious. And some of these guys were like UFC fighters, or MMA fighters and stuff. So they'd get anxious right before getting in the ring or um, before like anticipating some sort of fight going down. But as soon as they get into the event, I mean, their anxiety is just gone. And then afterwards, their anxiety stays gone because the threat was sort of it's just in their mind you know they know what they're doing they know how to handle it and then through breath control they're able to really maintain kind of the breaking mechanism of their physiological response they're able to keep their mind very very prefrontal because jujitsu is like you know three-dimensional chess and so they're working out all these amazing um you know sequences on the mats and for like a white belt you know, we're taught moves that are okay. So you're going to execute this arm bar or this triangle choke, and it's like steps one, two, three, four, right? But you talk to a black belt about that same sequence, and he'll tell you, like, oh, there's actually 25 different variables I'm thinking about. But they do this thing called chunking, where they, they chunk those moves together. And I mean, just the, the nuances and the granularity of what they're trying to manipulate, whether it's a finger or just a small angle here or there, you know, shifting weight here or there. It's, it's amazing. But they'll they'll have this insane amount of kind of resolution on, on that image, right? And then they'll execute it seam seamlessly because it's ingrained subconsciously. But it's almost a meditative state. You know, even though we're talking throwing blows, right, or, or getting hit or getting struck or getting choked out, but they're able to, to kind of dissociate from that in a, in a healthy way um and not be triggered if you will not be in a state of alarm um but still this is like a fight that pretty much feels life and death right someone's grabbing on your throat like you're, right, you're, a, you're gonna a combat react. sport but they they stay so calm through it and um anyway i mean i, I could talk for days about this I, I'm, I'm assuming you know that that calmness comes from all of the training um and constantly being in that chaos and mastering the control in that chaos. And that's probably mm -hmm. where, you know, in, I'm assuming in other moments of anxiety, being able to just control your breath and master the chaos for a second and be like, it's okay. I'm with, I could react. I, I don't remember. It's, I it's saw cool. It. I was going to say that carries off the mats too, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I saw somewhere, I heard somewhere, you know, there's, there's a difference between, uh, reaction and responding, right? And, and the best thing that you can do for anything is to not react. You need to respond. You need to take that momentary break, even a couple of seconds to just take a breath or a half a breath and have half a second to think mm -hmm. so you can respond respond appropriately instead of react, especially when it comes to something, you know, anger or violence or something like that, because your response is so much better, which is, I, I think an important lesson, especially for veterans, when it comes to something that might trigger you, if you can just take a half a second to breathe and respond to it in an appropriate way that could keep you from, you know, a myriad of, of potential issues that could come up with it, right. You know, snapping at a cashier because they gave you the wrong change or who knows what, or loud music in an event or whatever you know, com comes up like appropriate responses. Yeah. So, hey, sorry. There's, there's like an F-35 flying overhead and they're super loud. Ah, landing, damn Air Force. Uh. They've been doing their like, uh, what do they call it? What do you call it with the uh, um, vertical lands? Oh, I don't know. I, I forget what I they call know. it, but they're doing their vertical engine. So it's so loud. 
But what what you were talking about, taking that second to breathe, I was going to just kind of interrupt you for a second, which I try not to do because I get really no, excited right, about this stuff. But uh, there's a really interesting kind of neurophysiological property to this. If anyone's interested in the brain, uh, you know, because I know, especially with dudes, guys don't want to talk about like touchy feely feelings, right? It's like, give me the hard science of what's going on. If you look at the brain, like a biomechanical engine, then it really kind of makes this way more tangible. And so your, your visceral gut through your vagus nerve, your visceral gut has like a faster response to your environment than your prefrontal cortex by like nanoseconds. So the reason why is your brain stem, obviously lower part of your brain, it's wired, it's hardwired to your guts, not just your guts, but your lower extremities. And that's what kicks on your fight or flight. So your, your legs will run if you got a flight, your hands will punch if you got a fight, right? Um, but the, the way the neurocircuitry works is that there's a split second difference between your ability to think complicated thoughts or just higher brain executive thoughts about the situation and get the context it that lags a little bit more than your initial gut reaction so taking that just pausing for a moment will allow your prefrontal cortex to catch up then you can filter your next action whether you're going to say that thing you're about to say or you know punch that person or run away whatever it is because any of these things could be appropriate uh given the given the situation i don't know yeah they but, might very well be appropriate <laughs> hey i mean <laughs> might, and that's, might very again, well not me <laughs> yeah it, so again just taking that split second will give you that yeah will give you that ability to make a, a finer judgment call on what's what truly needs to happen in that situation and i know from personal experience you know again i'm not a perfect human there are times i react like an idiot to something because i just i feel it in my gut and Boom, that's that's what's going on but if i just breathe filter through a correct filter what's actually going on it's like oh yeah that person they might have said it like that that's not what they're really saying or i'm i'm projecting my own issues here you know um but then we can go into other context about the gut usually being right that's one thing that's that's another flip side to this there's some people in life who are in states of denial when it comes to their reality so they'll They'll feel something visceral, but they won't admit it. And this is complex, so I won't unpack it too much. But it, 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 if you notice yourself kind of later in life kicking yourself, because, yeah, dude, I should have followed my gut. If, if you're that kind of person, like I've been been there a lot. Um, there's the reverse effect where you'll over filter stuff. So there's a genuine threat, but then we downplay it or minimize it. And then we kind of keep finding ourselves in these bad situations with the wrong people and that's because our gut was telling us the right reaction, but we shut it down and overrode it. So there's, there's a balance to this. It's a sliding scale. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Sorry to get so technical. No, I, um, no, I love it. I think, I think probably everybody can sit there and probably know somebody in their life. That's been like that, that like keeps making bad decisions and overanalyzes everything or you know there's probably a lot of listeners sit there and be like man yeah i've probably said that far too many times in my life like i should have listened to my gut you know or there's i know i've done it a few times where i'm like yeah you know it's just should have trusted my gut on that one you know and there's there's times where i sit there and you know trying to think about it like oh well my gut says this but like you know the numbers or logic would say this you know, it's like, what, what direction do you go? Like, what do you do? So I'll keep that in mind. And dude, you tie this into leadership, man, especially again, especially like 
a tactical leader or in the military or whatever it is. And I mean, this is where that balance is so intriguing to me. And this is why I say it's a discussion. It's not about having answers because everybody has a different perspective. Every situation, you know, you have different personalities. You've got different, again, mission sets. You got different threats, different avenues of approach and most deadly course of action, most likely course of action if you're looking at it from a military op-ward perspective. And so there's never a cut and dry black and white. This is the answer. It's never one plus one is two. It's always this insane algebra, this insane calculus that has to go on with leadership. And uh, anyway, that's just me venting about this whole thing. That's why I wrote a book to just mull this over. And I love talking to, to folks like you because it gives space to have these talks of, of how insanely complex humans are, you know, on top of the battlefield or the training environment or whatever the mission is we're trying to accomplish. There's no doubt about it. We're, we're definitely complicated, especially as vets. We just, just add an extra layer of complicatedness on it. <laughs> yeah. I apologize to my boss yeah. all the time for yeah. that. Yeah. 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 It is what it is. You know, we're just, we're just complicated individuals. So, yeah. but we're the, we're the best, you know, we're the best. I mean, just personal opinion. I love it. Um, but no, it's um, yeah, we're the best. So, I was also kind of curious, was there anything in your research when you're going through this that surprised you, uh, you know, since you had been doing, you know, been there at the gym doing jujitsu and stuff like that. I'm sure some mm. of it probably didn't surprise you, but was there anything in the findings that you were like, wow, I did not e expect this. Yes. Um, I've had panic attacks on the mats myself from some past trauma in life and stuff came up on the mats. Um, I think the majority of the black belts I interviewed have also experienced panic attacks. I was not expecting that. These dudes are, I mean, they're warriors through and through. You know, these dudes are badasses and they're so, they're just so cool. And they're insane fighters. I mean, you see them on the mats. I've rolled with several of them. Holy smokes. It's insane. It's like fighting an octopus. There's like eight arms coming at you. It's it's insane. Their technical ability and how how grounded they are as human beings. You know, they don't, they don't look like they'd experience a threat ever. And they were normal human beings with social anxiety, with general anxiety, having had severe panic attacks. And they choose to, to battle through. They choose to rise up. They choose to face those things and conquer those things. And that was the, the coolest part of the study. Because I looked up to these guys like they're you know, gods or whatever. Like they're just these amazing people and they would just break it down. Like, no, I'm just like you. I'm just a guy who didn't quit. I kept coming back and I went from a white belt and it got darker and darker and darker. Now I have a black belt and seeing that authenticity and that vulnerability. And a lot of these guys are combat vets, you know, um, dude, it was just, it was so cool. It was so cool getting to know. I still geek out over this study, you know, and it's just because we talk about battle scenarios, right? Them losing guys and getting shot at. A lot of them experience this stuff and then how they work through it on the mats in jujitsu. One of them quit, quit opiates and cocaine because of jujitsu. He literally sweat out his withdrawals on the mats. I mean, the shakes wow. and the withdrawals on the mats in jujitsu. Stuff's cool, man. This stuff is like, I'm so grateful to these guys because they were that honest and they're not the easiest people to get a hold of, man. Black belts, it's it's like talking to almost it was like a veteran community where you better know somebody who knows somebody if you're gonna come come approach me, right? Not on the mats. They weren't like this on the mats. They're very humble guys. But when it comes to asking about their personal private life, like it, it had to be word of mouth introduction between black belts. And 
luckily I, I got the credibility through them to, to continue this study, but uh, it was just such sincere insight into their lives, man. I just, I'm stoked. I, I love these guys. They're so cool. That's awesome. And I had no idea what to expect for your answer on that, but I definitely did not expect panic attacks. Dude. Yeah. That one, that one kind of surprised me. They're but, human beings, man. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I'm like, what? You guys are humans. You've had <laughs> made me feel less crazy. You know, it's, it's cool. And I love that they shared that stuff, you know, and I can't name names to protect their privacy. So I hope, you know, I hope that's really understood. But um, the fact that, you know, I could share this, I hope encourages people for sure. I hope, hope people feel encouraged. No, it's awesome that they were able to share because, you know, there's no telling how many people that could help, you know, having a study like that and who, you know, over time, how many people could review that study, look at it and, and gain insight from it and, and, and get help from it. So, but it is cool too that, you know, you train at the same place that Jocko trains. So he must, he's, that must be, that must awesome be pretty guy. interesting. He might, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. he's just as intense as he seems like on his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, I, he's built different. He's built uh, different, man. But he's, he's a good man. He's definitely. I am surprised. I'm not surprised by that. Um, yeah. He seems a pretty cool guy. Mm. Um, I, I, I did want to ask, you know, some people might be listening to this and say, Hey, jujitsu sounds like a, a great idea, but, you know, maybe for whatever reason, physically, whatever, jujitsu may not be an option. Maybe there's no place to do it. When you're going through this, or maybe you've thought about it at some point, is there any other sports that you could think of that may also deliver some of the same benefits or anything you ever thought of? If somebody's out there, like like I said, jujitsu may not physically be the thing for them. Maybe they want to try something else that might deliver something similar. Dude, I mean, it's anything that gets you in your body. So the, the concept here is that it's it's about grounding and what that term means is feeling present in your body and that's it's the opposite of dissociation so jujitsu is a prime example because if you don't stay in your body and stay present you will black out and wake up with guys above you like hey dude wake up so um but i mean you could do this bowling golfing doing yoga paddle boarding kiteboarding i mean swimming there's anything that gets your body moving where you have to think about your breath you got to think about your form you got to think about your physiology that'll get you there. It's, it's just a matter of exposure therapy. So if you're, you know, so for me, it was really rough doing jujitsu because some stuff that happened to me when I was younger in life. And so that was like pro probably the hardest thing to do. And yet I found myself on the mats just going through it. And, um, so I want to caution people. You need to be cognizant of what you're exposing yourself to. So, um, you know, like it, it really depends on, a lot about your background but if there's something that you want to do that you're drawn to and maybe that you're a little bit afraid of that's probably it that's probably the path to go down i don't know talk to somebody you trust to make sure i'm not just blowing smoke but um so for me i was super intimidated by jujitsu right and muay thai and boxing getting punched in the face all of that stuff but uh that's understandable yeah uh, you know, well yeah there's some friends of mine they got me into it and uh it was cool you know it bonded us and i felt that that tribal connection that primal you know i needed that right so that fed me but i was also scared of it simultaneously and then it helped me access some stuff i was bottling up and that i was numbing out on for a while um but but again and I, I had a moment where i you know talked to a therapist and he's like look dude this is this is exposure therapy for you and you could stop you can not do it you can medicate there's a lot of stuff you could do but you got to understand that when you're on the mats you're going to feel this stuff so i chose to work through it and it helped but 
there were moments where it became overwhelming and that's you know when the panic attack started and for me and i worked i took a long time to, to get through all that but um but yeah if there's if basically any sporting activity anything that gets you in your body where you're you're thinking about diaphragmatic breathing you're breathing deep belly you're slowing down your mind you're slowing down your breath and uh that will help you ground yourself and you'll notice different things about your body you'll notice aches and pains you'll notice when you're feeling great there's just this it's depending on how dissociated somebody is like i was really dissociated so i'm just like what is this i feel a breeze on my face or i notice that the, the sky is a lot bluer and the trees are a lot greener than usual there's that sort of sensation and uh, whatever gets you there do it as long as you're not feeling overwhelmed or if you are overwhelmed that you can throttle it back down with a safe environment people that you trust to to look after you that's why i love rolling with vets man it's it's cool awesome that's uh that's great advice because like i said i wanted to ask that because i know there's some people that may look at it and be like look i can't physically do that but maybe there's something else i could do because you know like maybe it's golf or swimming or gosh no who else who knows what else so um so last thing I wanted to do, I was going to throw this up here. I was going to throw your website up here. So scrolling across the bottom. Have no fear, everybody. Like always, it's down in the show notes. Uh, CombatPsych.com. And you said you got a couple of books that you're still working on there. So by the time this comes out, maybe you'll have have them done. If not, everybody go check check back in the future. Uh, I know I, I'm really excited about those, uh, some of them. But you've got Combat Psych Handbook is out and Backpacks to Rucksack, which we talked a little bit, quite a bit about today. And you're mm -hmm. working on the Black Belt Mindset and bridging mm -hmm. worlds navigating honor shame and self-identity as a first generation child and the motor mind user's manual to cognitive and mechanics right yeah awesome so if anybody's interested knows definitely go check them out uh i know it, actually all of those look really really interesting to me <laughs> but i've got a long list of books to read <laughs> one of the uh one of the perks of being a podcast host there's a lot of a lot of books to read and and uh yeah, yeah, a, lot you know, yeah a lot of homework a lot, a lot of a lot more reading it didn't know there's so much reading to do when you have a podcast, <laughs> but, um, but no, it's a lot of good stuff though. So go check it out. You've got a lot of other great information on there. You got your whole report on there. What was it like 13 pages was your, yeah. was your, uh, uh, whole report on there and a nice little graphic that kind of breaks down the charts and stuff. And it kind of shows where the anxiety levels were it's a, lot, a lot of fascinating stuff. I kind of nerded out on it. kind of read through it. So, Thanks, man. um, no, I thought it was cool. So any, Thanks. any last words about everything we talked about? Um, I would say, so i have a friend jp wayne and he um he lost his legs in afghanistan to an ied and when people see him on his prosthetics they always thank him for his service and he's he's such a good dude he's got such a big heart um he was also a combat engineer and he'll tell people when they thank him for his service he says you're worth it and that always that really like touched my heart man um and i i told him i was going to copy him and, and give him credit but I always like to say that to people is you're worth it. You know, so if someone's struggling with anxiety, stress, depression, suicidality, whatever it is, panic attacks, whatever you're struggling with in life, because we're all human, we all have our struggles, you know, just know you're worth it when it comes to recovery, when it comes to self-enrichment, self-care, any of that stuff. And I know it's especially hard as, as males to think about that, but um, I believe if people see their worthiness and feel their value, they'll invest in the right relationships and the right resources and they'll find ways to improve their lives i think i think adults are just as resilient as children i think children have a tremendous amount of resilience and uh we just we got to enable one another 
to to go with what we know is right for ourselves and pick those healthy those healthy avenues but i don't think we do that until we feel that we're genuinely worth it and so uh i understand the struggle i certainly do and um yeah i just hope anybody who feels alone and isolated out there finds finds that sense of worthiness and pursues healthy means of getting out of that hole and living their best life man i love that and pass along to him i said that i you know you are worth it that might be the best response to thank you for your service i've ever heard yeah jp he's a <laughs> i'm gonna get emotional if i think about it but yeah man he definitely yeah. blows people's minds when he says that dude he, he genuinely totally needs it oh dude he's yeah if you look up jp lane's story i mean he's, he's a good dude he, he changed my life when i met him awesome well i uh yeah please let him know i i, I think that's probably the best response i've ever heard and and with that we'll go ahead and and wrap the show but i thank you for coming on here and sharing with us dan thanks bud yep there you have it, folks i hope you enjoyed as always uh check out the website for all kinds of information and resources and as i always say if there's something on on there you think should be on there let me know reach out and if you're struggling for any reason remember the national suicide hotline number is 988 press one or you can text 838-255